I was using my speaking voice projecting. <laughs> okay, but um, that's really loud. <laughs> I'm not going to sing for you. <laughs> okay, so the title of the message tonight is Overcome by the Goodness of God. Have you ever been overcome by God's goodness? Okay, and this is really amazing because if you've been overcome by God's goodness, then you could share in what Hannah was experiencing in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And her outpouring of praise to the Lord is just her being overcome by God's goodness. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that the seal of the Holy Spirit is upon you. And that's the assurance that we have to be in eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever, right? And But there's this whole thing in the Bible that also says, right, that we can experience a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, so this is just kind of like an interchangeable word. I like to just simplify it and say we can be overcome by the Holy Spirit. If you have really theological questions about this, just ask my husband on Wednesday or Sunday. <laughs> I'm not going to know. <laughs> but okay, so um, being overcome by the Holy Spirit. And if you've ever experienced this, I've had like experiences. And I don't ever know, like, like it's not like, oh, I like, Lord, could you give me a baptism of the Holy Spirit? And bam, it happened. Like, it's not always like that, right? Like, sometimes I'll pray like, Lord, would you help me experience a baptism of your Holy Spirit? And you can pray that, right? And then I'll just be like at an in and out line and I'm like, Lord is so good. It's, it's because of the hamburger too, but, <laughs> but he is good to create in and out. But uh, also just because, right, um, you just get overcome. But usually a marker of being overcome by the Holy Spirit, being baptized in the Holy Spirit is you have an undeniable understanding of how big of a sinner you are and how good God is. I remember um, when uh, John and I were engaged and I was just so overcome by God's goodness and all that he was doing and bringing us together in our time that we were planning our wedding. I remember just waking up one day and praising God and I couldn't help but think, right? Like, God, you are too holy and I am a sinner and I deserve no part of you, right? But by Jesus Christ, but by Jesus Christ. And that's, I think, how Peter felt. He said, depart from me. I'm a man of unclean lips. He's like, I have nothing to do with you, right? Like he realized that's like an experience of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit gives us a correct understanding to who God is and who we are. And all you want to do in that moment is praise him, right? And this is what Hannah is experiencing. She's singing to the Lord. Um, this week, I couldn't like stop the entire week just like listening to, um, if you've ever heard the hymn Doxology, right? And I'm going to read it to you. It says, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And I just kept saying that over and over and over. And I knew that was a work of the Spirit because when you get like a song on your heart, you're just praising Him with. And that's so amazing because that's like the innermost part of you talking to the Holy God, right? And you just happen to be caught up in it. <laughs> it's so beautiful, right? Um, and it just changes my perspective on the entire day. I'm like, 
four loads of laundry, that's fine, right? It's okay, it can wait. Um, uh, and those, like sometimes doing laundry is a holy act because you're serving your family, but sometimes you're like, I'm just gonna sit here at Jesus's feet and that's gonna wait, right? Um, so it's just so beautiful, just like being in praise to the Lord. And that's what we're watching Hannah do in these verses. So Hannah is singing to the Lord and she's overcome by the Holy Spirit. She's pointing to God's goodness and pointing to her Messiah. So I'm going to pray one more time as we go through through these verses. Lord, thank you for this study tonight. Lord, I just ask that you would be magnified and glorified. To you be all the glory because you are the one that deserves all and the only glory, Lord. For we are sinners and you are God. And you are holy and you came and died for us on on the cross for our sins. So we just thank you for that, God. We praise you for that, God, and we can't wait to worship you in all eternity, um, starting now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, our, our points tonight is going to be three points. The first point is looking at who God is, who he is, and that's his, his character. The second point is what he has done, and that's his promises and his power. And the third point is what he will do his prophecy. So this is essentially a naturally embedded outline of Hannah's song of praise. So she's telling us who God is, and then she's telling us what he's done, and then she's telling us what he will do. So we're going to start, the first point is covering verses 1, 2, and 3. It says in verse 1, and Hannah prayed and said, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you, nor there any rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. So this section starts off with Hannah saying that her heart rejoices in the Lord. So her proclamation begins with a rejoicing. And by definition, to rejoice is to jump for joy. I'm not going to do it. I really wanted to. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) exalt. Okay. Um, And to, to triumph over evil, right? That is what is to rejoice. So we ask the question, like, why is Hannah rejoicing in these verses? Like, what is causing her to rejoice? So um, a little bit of context in the situation is um, her, she's, she's currently fulfilling her vow that she gave to the Lord and prayed to the Lord in 1 Samuel chapter 1. So she tells the Lord and prays for a son and promises to the Lord, vows to him that, Lord, if you give me a son, I will give him to you. I will dedicate him to you. And in verse 11, she vows specifically saying, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. I like this commentary by David Guzik. He says, this song records the worship Hannah offered on the very day she left her boy, her only child at the tabernacle, never for him to live in her home again. So I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound like a moment of rejoicing. As mommies, right, sisters, friends, you're like, that's so sad, (laughs) right? She's taking her only son to the temple, and she essentially is adopting him to the work of the temple, right? 
So how much trust she needed in the Lord. Like, is he going to be okay? Is someone going to make sure he, like, eats his vegetables, right? Um, should, should I be worried, right? No, right, the Lord says. But how relatable is that, right? Like, Hannah's whole premise is she's rejoicing on the day she's completing her vow and leaving her child at the temple to the service of the Lord. And I think this is a really good picture for us women, right, Um, to trust, to really trust God with our kids, our families, our husbands, right? Like, fill in the blank, whatever you need to trust the Lord in, he's like, I got this, right? So Hannah's saying she's rejoicing in the Lord. So why, again, is she rejoicing in the Lord if she's in a really tough circumstance, right, leaving her son at the temple? Well, it tells us in the verses that she's rejoicing in God's character, right? She's rejoicing in his character. And I love this quote. It says, Hannah overlooks the gift and praises the giver, whereas most forget the giver and fasten on the gift. Hannah isn't focused on Samuel. She's focused on her God, right? And that's why she's able to rejoice in this really difficult moment. So she highlights some really special things about God's character in these verses for us to examine. First, she talks about God's salvation, Um, She says, I smile at my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. And here she's pointing directly to Jesus. The word salvation is Yeshua, right? She's pointing to Jesus. She's pointing to her deliverance for all eternity, right? So she's saying, I rejoice at my salvation, right? She also points to God's holiness. So by definition, Holiness is to be free from defilement of crimes, idolatry, and other unclean things. This word is also synonymous with being sacred, set apart, and sinless. So she's saying, our God, my God is holy. He's set apart. He's sinless. He's perfect. Well, Hannah also tells us that her God is stable, right? She talks about his stability by calling him the rock, right? Um, so I love going through my library. I'm like, what books that are there in here as a treasure? And I find this, um, found this book, The Names of Christ. Um, if you've ever not gone through the Names of Christ study, I want to encourage you right now and say that on our uh, Calvary Chapel Flower Mound website, we went through it like six summers ago. <laughs> but I'm telling you this because it was so personally edifying to me. Like in my prayer life, I really grew in that study. And I always go back to like praying through the names of God, like calling upon my God. And I love that. Like if you ever forget which name of God to call upon, you can just say Yehovah because he's all becoming one, right? That's what that means. Like he's everything you need him to be. But yes, it was such a fruitful study. So um, I went through this book and I looked up the word, the rock, the name of God, the rock. And this is um, from T.C. Horton. It's written by T.C. Horton. And it says this about the rock of my salvation. There's no graver danger that threatens the believer than that of forgetting that he was redeemed. Forgetting even as he experiences it, what our salvation cost. And who is the rock foundation of our faith? To meet this need, our Savior pictures himself not merely as the rock of ages and our strong rock of refuge, but the rock of our salvation. 
here in him and based upon his merit and atoning grace, we were saved from among the lost. Let us glory in this precious name and never forget that he was wounded for our transgressions and that he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. May we have all joy and peace in believing that our salvation is built upon a solid rock, standing through all ages. Amen. And that is one of my favorite names of God, the rock, okay? Um, Tamar, naturally, is a very anxious person, right? Um, so I am always calling upon the rock because he is very stable, right? And it's just always like, Lord, help me turn to the rock that you are, right? I love that. Um, and here are some other places in the Bible. There's a lot of places where the Bible references to God as the rock. Here's just a few. Deuteronomy 32.4 says that he is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. Psalm 18.2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. Psalm 18.31, for who is God beside the Lord and who is the rock except our God? In Psalm 89, 26, it says, He will call out to me, You're my Father, my God, the Rock, my Savior. So I love it. Uh, Hannah calls um, her God, my Rock. She also acknowledges that God is the God of knowledge. Okay? Um, the fancy word is omniscient. It just means that God is all-knowing, omniscient, right? In 1 Corinthians 1.25, I love this Bible verse. It says, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, <laughs> right? Um, how true. But what I love about God is that he also promises in his Bible that we can ask him for wisdom. In James 1.5, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And I love this picture of like God's wisdom available to us. So imagine like you went to a bank. Does anyone go into a bank anymore? <laughs> okay, one person, <laughs> two, okay, three, okay, we got some. So I went into the bank, like I had like a cashier's check and I didn't know what to do with it because I didn't need it anymore. So I was like, I better go in and ask somebody, what do I do with this, right? Nobody was in there. <laughs> it was like one banker, one teller. But anyways, um, I worked at a bank, right, when I was in college and I just remember like, like how you handled the vault was very specific. Like you had a lot of guidelines. You could never be in there alone. Like you'd immediately get fired, right? You'd have to like pair up. There was like a dual system and person one had the left key, you had the right key and someone had the half code, you had the other code, right? So it was like this whole thing. But it, like God's wisdom is like a bank vault that he leaves open for us. And it's like treasures and treasures and money and money and anything you can imagine. And he says like, if you just ask for it, you can come have it, right? It's like an infinite bank of wisdom that we have access to. And James 1.5 says, all you have to do is ask him. That's it, right? You got access to a vault full of wisdom. And he's like, just ask me. I'm liberal. I'll give it to you. <laughs> And I love that, right? And Isaiah 55, 9 says, his ways are so much higher than our ways and his thoughts are so much greater than our thoughts. So we want to ask him wisdom for things and he'll tell us, right? And there's nothing too small we can ask of the Lord. There's nothing too big that you can ask of the Lord. Like I'll ask the Lord, like, Lord, when do you want me to visit my parents in California? 
Like, if he will give me an answer. And every time I'm like, this is too specific of a question for you to answer. No, he finds a way to tell me, like, this is when I want you to go. This is, like, the perfect time. And he lines it up, right? He gives me an answer. So you can ask him anything. Nothing too small or too big. Hannah also acknowledges that God, in his character, is a just judge. It says in that verse, by him, actions are weighed, okay? Um, I love this quote from the Nelson Study Bible. It says, since the God of knowledge, tying to the last thing we just learned, knows all things, he will appraise our performance along with our words and our promises. So I love this like description of how knowledge and being a just judge are actually tied together. They're mutually inclusive. Because God is omniscient and all-knowing, he can judge justly right? And I think about that only God has the whole story to things. And because he has the whole story, he can be the perfect judge. So this takes us back to something maybe like we may struggle with. I'm not saying you do, but right. We may all struggle with as women. And it's this idea of gossip. And we know the Bible tells us don't gossip, right? But mainly in this picture, right, in application, like another reason not to gossip or receive gossip from anyone is because they're just going to give you one side of the story, right? Even the proverb says, like, the first person that comes to you with their story, right, I'm paraphrasing, is like, you receive it and you hear it and you're like, take their word for it. But like, then the second person comes and you already heard the other person's story, right? So you're not supposed to receive it at all because you don't know the whole story, right? And gossip just gives you one side of the story and you don't know the whole picture, right? And that makes us a very poor judge of things, right? So you always, right, um, best, best case scenario, if anyone's like sharing about someone else, you're like, well, take it to the Lord. Well, take it back to that person, right? You better go talk to them, right? Um, that's the best case scenario. But yes, that only offers us one side of the story and it's incorrect. And God is a just judge because he has the whole story and he knows it perfectly in truth and in love, right? Um, so God is the perfect judge. I like how in uh, Daniel chapter 5, um, the king, uh, Belshazzar, got a message on the wall, and it said, meeny, meeny, tekel, you farsin. And it translated, right, Daniel translated and said, you have been weighed in the balances, and you have been uh, found wanting. And that's what it translated, right? So we know, right, that God, right, is a just judge. He knows what um, he's weighing out, and he knows good for good and evil for evil, right? So, in our first point, right, learning of the character of God, we know that Hannah makes a proclamation of his salvation, his holiness, God's stability, his knowledge, and that he's a just judge. So with that, we're going to move to the second point, which is what God has done, what God has done, his power and promises. And we're going to cover verses 4 through 8. So I'm going to read through it. The, bow, the bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, and the hungry have ceased to hunger. Even the barren has borne seven, and she who has many children has become feeble. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap to set them among the princes and make them inherit the throne of glory. 
for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. So here, right, again, it's like coming out of that idea of how God is a just judge. It's just kind of like weighing out that God is going to make all things right, right? And that's what Hannah is saying. It's like he has made all things right. Like um, evil is meant, right, like is known for what it is. Evil and good is known for what it is and good. Um, And that's really comforting. I don't know about you, right? Um, But it's really hard to watch evil prevail, right? Anyone else? Show of hands. It's frustrating. How many of you stopped watching the news because that is so frustrating? Yeah, I'm with you, (laughs) okay? I'm like, somebody just fill me in on what's going on and like translate it for me. I'm like, it's just too much. It's frustrating, right? So um, if, if you've ever felt that way, you are in good company. Okay, so King David felt the same way. If you ever read through Psalm 73, he penned the same words, okay? Here's a few excerpts from it. He says in verse 3, I was envious of the boastful. In verse 4 and 5, he says, There are no pangs in their death, nor are they plagued by other men. Verse 12 says, These are the ungodly who are always at ease. Like, it just looks like they're just always at ease, relaxed, nothing bothers them, nothing gets to them, right? But in the end, it says, right, that he goes into the sanctuary of the Lord, like he goes before the holy God, he sees it for what it's worth in all eternity, and in the end, he concludes, he says, they are brought to desolation in a moment, right, in just a moment. So if we walk by sight and not by faith, then we will be easy to fret, but those who prosper for evil will not last. That's what the Bible tells us. So what do we do um, when we see the evil prosper? First, we trust in the Bible, okay? If you've ever had a bad day and you're like, nothing makes sense, I turned on the news, everything's upside down, it's just really confusing, and you open your Bible and you're like, oh, that sounds a lot like what's going on, right? Like everything makes sense, okay? So you trust in his word because the word is what is real, Okay, the word is what is reality. Okay, not what the news says, what, what, not what someone else reports or talks about, but God's word sets reality. And we don't get a clear picture of what's going on until we read his word. So it's like you're going through that experience of being frustrated with the wicked. And then you open up Psalm 73 and you read Psalm 73. You're like, this makes sense. That's how I feel, right? Like, that's how it always is. Like, it's so relatable. If If you're a believer and you open up your Bible, right, everything makes so much more sense. So you trust and then you delight, right? You delight in God. So that means we care most of what God thinks. And when we care most of what God thinks, then people don't bother us. (laughs) Okay. And then third, I'm pretty sure I honed in on this last time, but this is like an ongoing learning experience for all of us. We wait. (laughs) We wait. I like this quote. It says, God often waits to answer our prayers to strengthen our own patience. Right? How true is that? Right? So Hannah's proclamation here is that she sees God makes all things right. Right? And it's hard to, to see all things upside down. Right? Um, the Bible also says that eternity is written on our hearts. So we want that justiceness, right? Those things that are unequal bother us, right? When evil is rewarded, it bothers us. In the book of Judges, it says that everyone did what was right in his own eyes, right? That's what it feels like. <laughs> but Hannah's making a proclamation saying, God will make all things right. 
okay? Um, I love this verse from Psalm 37, 5. King David says, I was young and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous one forsaken, nor his children begging for bread. So as we look at Hannah's proclamation of his power and promises, um, we want to also last look at God's prophecy, right? What he will do. And that's the last part, verses 9 and 10. It says, he will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength no man shall prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. So um, this is very prophetic in nature. So in verse 10, again, um, Hannah says he will give strength to his king. Well, that's alarming because there was no king in Israel at this time, right? Um, and, and then she says, um, and exalt the horn of his anointed. So what is she talking about? Well, the Bible has a rule of first that every time you see something for the first time, you want to pay close attention to it. We have a rule of first in here. This is actually the first time in the Bible we see the word Messiah. So the first time we see the word Messiah. I like this quote from Adam Clark. It says, she first, speaking of Hannah, applied to him the remarkable epithet Messiah in Hebrew, Christ in Greek, and anointed in English, which was adopted by David, Nathan, Ethan, Isaiah, Daniel, and the succeeding prophets of the Old Testament, and by the apostles and inspired writers of the New. So Hannah's proclamation being overcome by God's goodness through the Holy Spirit really impacted these prophets of old and apostles of the New Testament, right? We see in Zechariah, um, in Luke 169, Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, actually quotes Hannah's verse. Um, he calls, right, Jesus a horn of salvation. And the horn is just like a reference to an animal's strength, right, their horn. Um, so like an ox or an animal, right, is their strength. So it's just a reference to strength. And Mary, right, in the Magnificat, right, says in Luke 1, 46 to 55, she, you can see the similarities. If you did your homework, you know this. And I would like to draw out conclusions, but I'm going to defer that to Val, who's teaching on Mary next week. <laughs> so come back for the part two. No. <laughs> um, but Matthew Henry says, her horn is exalted because she foresees the horn of the Messiah will be so. So she's pointing to the fulfillment of the Messiah, right? And that's what she's proclaiming here. And again, it's this ongoing theme of like, as she's proclaiming Jesus, as she's proclaiming Messiah, she's saying all things will be right, right? All things will be made well in, in God's kingdom. And in Daniel chapter 7, verse 21 and 22, it says, I was watching and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the ancient of days came and a judgment was made in the favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Amen? Right? That's exciting. And of course, Jesus fulfills this and says in John 19.30 that it is finished right on the cross. So what do we learn from Handa? What do we take away from this whole thing? So we're going to be bringing it all together by first saying we too, like Hannah, can rejoice in the Lord 
in difficult circumstances. Second, we too, like Hannah, can give God our complete trust with our kids, our prodigals, our difficult situations, adult kids, little kids, friends, family, husband, fill in the blank. Three, we too, like Hannah, can be assured of God's just judgments. Four, we too, like Hannah, can proclaim that God makes all things right in its time. And five, we too, like Hannah, know that in these last days of perversity and wickedness, our horn will be exalted in the finished work of Jesus Christ as we spend eternity with him. And this, this is why we are overcome by God's goodness. Let us pray. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you that we proclaim your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that as sinners, Lord, that you came to die on the cross for our sins because there was nothing we could do, God. But you came and finished the work on the cross, Lord, for us to have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that we would not take that lightly, that there wouldn't be a moment in our sight, that we would lose that, that thought, that idea of our salvation, God. And if there's anyone here or listening that doesn't know you personally, Lord, I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon them. I pray that you would draw them into a relationship with you and show them that there's none like you, God. And I thank you for your love and grace and mercy, Lord. And we just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that was so good. I'm always, um, I know I say this every time, but I know that tomorrow we had a short time to put this together, and it's just so spot on. I mean, um, such A-plus teaching. And whew, And Noemi, I loved that singing. Um, I love that she sings in a pitch where I can belt a little bit more. And uh, because he lives, we can face tomorrow. So that's awesome. And I love her first question that Tamara asked, have you been overcome by God's goodness? Hannah rejoiced and trusted in the Lord as she focused on him. Under the Holy Spirit, she calls God our salvation, holiness, our rock. He is omniscient, one we can ask, a just judge. He makes things right so we can trust. We, he cares and we care what God thinks. We wait for him, and the finger is always pointing to Christ because he is called the Messiah. And um, there was a time where I was overcome by God's goodness. And I want to just add, I love how Tamar just, I mean, you sit there and go, oh, she asked when to take a flight. Wow, that never, er, 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 that didn't occur to me. And um, so, you know, sometimes it feels like um, uh, that someone just like, wow, they have this really strong relationship with the Lord. And I can remember this one particular time um, feeling really, really embarrassed to ask the Lord for things. I felt ashamed because... There's that feeling like, well, you know, I should pick up my big girl pants and do the right thing and, and you know, I don't know, just, just pray harder but not necessarily ask because that might be like a name it and claim it thing or something. And I don't know, but there was, I, I don't know what my brain was thinking. It was just really hard for me. And this one particular time, my daughter was um, applying for a scholarship at, at Laterno University, which is a Christian university. And I happen to know for a fact that this Christian university has a lot of missionary kids that attend the school. And these are people that are depending on people's giving to make their living. And uh, there was also a lot of uh, pastor's kids that attended that school. And um, so she, her, um, she got picked to be one out of a, uh, eight out of 100 that would get chosen for a, a four-year scholarship, completely paid. And I was taking my walk, and I 
And I was like, Lord, I don't know if I can ask. It just feels like I'm asking for money. It feels like I'm asking for this, um, like, oh, man, there's missionary kids attending the school. And so I said, okay, I'm asking, can she get the scholarship? And I felt so guilty. It was really, really hard. And I know that's not, that's not of God, and it was really sin. It, it was probably more pride than anything, but it just felt awkward because if you're not, sometimes it doesn't come natural to you. And, um, but you know what? In those cases, you can ask the Lord, is it okay for me to ask? And it's interesting. He will, under the Holy Spirit, give you that um, confirmation. Um, it's, I've even done that in things that are really, really hard. Um, okay, and then I, I'll give it a little bit. Do you still feel the same? And Lord, change my mind if you need me to change my mind and go back and forth and kind of grapple with them. Well, this particular time, uh, he did answer this in the positive, and she did. She was one of the eight picked. And um, it, I could see the events leading up to it that he was molding her for uh, writing a paper and doing a group project and being interviewed. And so it was kind of cool to see that, and it gave me a little more confidence that I could ask you know, ask the Lord. And, and so if you feel funny about asking for something, go ahead and say, Lord, may I ask? Because I'd like to ask, but I don't want to be asking if it's, you know, in James, it says, if you, if you don't receive what you ask, it's because you ask amiss. So you can ask the Lord, am I asking amiss? You know, so have that conversation. And, and of course, as Tamar brought up, use scripture, always pray back scripture. So anyway, let's break into groups.